This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 12, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal judges often defer to the executive when it comes to assertions of national security and presidential prerogatives. Where does Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh come down on those issues? Gene Healy, a vice president at the Cato Institute, comments. Courts tend to defer to presidents on national security matters, and uh, lower courts take their marching orders, uh, it seems, from the, the Supreme Court, which is fairly deferential. What does that mean in terms of uh, the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court? Well, he's got an enormously long paper trail. He's uh, been a appellate judge for 12 years. He's written nearly 300 opinions. Uh, in many cases, those opinions will be uh, governed to some extent by controlling precedent. So there, you know, it's possible that uh, some of these things may be taken out of context. Uh, and uh, that's one concern that uh, apparently Mitch McConnell has expressed with uh, – uh, nominating a judge with uh, an extensive paper trail. With respect to presidential power, uh, Brett Kavanaugh has some pretty unique experience, and uh, that experience has led him to say that, you know, during a president's term, maybe we should shield that person from uh, investigations or some sort of some direct questioning related to investigations. Well, I think he does. He does have a, a, a long track record of involvement in the executive branch. Uh, he's been compared to somebody compared him to uh, Zelig from the Woody Allen movie. Uh, he's uh, shown up in just about every conservative cause in the last uh, quarter century. Uh, so he he worked uh, for uh, the Independent Counsel's Office under Ken Starr during the Clinton impeachment. Uh, helped write the Star Report for Congress. Uh, he was involved in the Elian Gonzalez case in the early 2000s. The, uh, he served in the Bush administration, two stints, one as a, a, a lawyer in the uh, White House Counsel's Office, another staff secretary. And so he, he's got an abundance of experience. In many ways, he's, uh, he's right out of Federalist Society central casting. Um, and for libertarians, you know, that can be a mixed bag, uh, especially when it comes to executive power. Uh, on the plus side, it, there's every indication that he tends to be skeptical of regulatory overreach by administrative agencies. Uh, on the minus side, uh, there are indications that he may be less skeptical of executive overreach uh, when it comes to presidential power. So what of, uh, what of the uh, reasons for skepticism with regard to presidential power? Well, uh, you asked about uh, the, uh, the idea of uh, supporting immunity for prosecution uh, for uh, sitting presidents. Uh, I'm, some of uh, the, uh, the folks in uh, the Democratic Party may be making a little too much of this. Uh, it's based on two law review articles he wrote uh, over the space of 10 years, uh, one in 1998, one in 2009. Um, 
and uh, that's where they're getting uh, this idea of uh, this insinuation that uh, he might be inclined to protect Trump from the Mueller investigation. Uh, I've looked at both of these law review articles, and uh, they're they're mainly policy arguments, uh, so uh, less uh, constitutional arguments, uh, and they're interesting. I think they they show at least how his thinking has evolved on uh, the sort of privileges and immunities for sitting presidents. Uh, the first uh, one that he wrote in 1998 uh, for the Georgetown Law Journal, uh, shortly after he left. Uh, uh, Ken Starr's office, uh, it does say that uh, special counsels and outside prosecutors are sometimes necessary. And uh, he, what he proposes is a number of uh, statutory reforms that, that he, he supported Congress passing to make outside investigations more streamlined and more efficient uh, when they are necessary and maybe less likely when they're not necessary. Uh, so in this article from 98, uh, he uh, talks about instead of the then uh, independent counsel statute where uh, the independent counsel is appointed by the attorney general and a three-judge panel, uh, he wants a statute that says uh, the independent counsel will be appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Uh, he also supports a, a change to the law providing that the president is uh, temporarily immune to criminal indictment and prosecution while he's in office. He says uh, correctly, I think, that whether the, a sitting president can be criminally prosecuted while he's in office is an open constitutional question. Uh, uh, one thing that's interesting, the third uh, reform that he proposes uh, by statute in this article is a statute that would say that the president may not maintain any executive privilege other than a national security privilege in response to a grand jury or criminal trial subpoena sought by the United States. So in this proposal from 1998, Kavanaugh is really uh, by statute you know, inviting Congress to uh, allow the president to, to, to shut down some of the dubious claims of privilege that he'd seen made uh, during the Clinton impeachment. Uh, this would be something that would actually enhance the ability to investigate the president. But uh, over the next 10 years, after some service in the Bush administration, it does seem when you turn to the, the article he wrote uh, in 2009 covering similar subjects, it seems like his thinking has uh, changed. He's come to a, a wider view of the privileges and protections that sitting presidents ought to enjoy. Uh, for one thing, he, he writes that, uh, I believe that the president should be excused from some of the burdens of ordinary citizenship while serving in office. And one of those burdens apparently is a criminal investigation. So in 2009, he, again, this, this is all uh, Proposals for laws that Congress should pass. They're not, uh, it's not anything that he's saying uh, is inherent in the Constitution. So I don't think uh, we, we can extrapolate directly to how he'd rule in any, in, in any of these sorts of cases as a justice on the Supreme Court. But uh, in 2009, he, burden, he, he broadens his uh, 
original proposal for uh, presidential immunity. In 98, it was temporary immunity from criminal prosecution combined with a restriction on certain executive privilege claims. By uh, 2009, it, it, it seems to include immunity from questioning. Uh, it says Congress might consider a law exempting a president while in office from criminal prosecution and investigation, including from criminal prosecutors or defense counsel. So this is broad, and uh, it's odd a, a little bit because by all accounts, when uh, he was working for independent counsel Ken Starr, he was among the most zealous uh, of the staffers in pushing the envelope on questioning the president. He wanted to to grill Bill Clinton about uh, where else besides the blue dress that uh, Clinton um, left his mark. Uh, and, you know, 10 years later, by 2009, he you really see that he's developed uh, some concerns about unreasonable, allegedly unreasonable burdens on the presidency. So some of that may just be frustration with what he understands to be perfectly uh, constitutional and uh, legal behavior among those who may be investigating the president. Um, well, I, you know, it, it happens after uh, service throughout much of the George W. Bush administration. Uh, I don't think you can since, since the article came out uh, in 2009, uh, when you have a Democratic president, uh, I don't think you can say that, uh, you know, it's a partisan shift. Uh, you know, uh, we, tend to we, we tend to nominate for the Supreme Court uh, and for the federal appellate courts a lot of people that have extensive executive branch experience and that tends to – Give them whether they've served as prosecutors or in the the uh, office of legal counsel, solicitor general's office. It tends to give them uh, a broad institutional favoritism towards the executive branch, uh, and uh, that may have some impact on. That certainly seems to have some impact on how Kavanaugh's views evolved, and may have some impact on how justices view these sorts of separation of powers cases. Now, you mentioned we talked a little bit about uh, the, the national security claims. And one thing that is particularly uh, concerning about the Supreme Court in general is how it deals with uh, the issue of data collection by the National Security Agency. Um, Kavanaugh uh, heard the case of Clayman v. Obama that dealt with uh, metadata and uh, he found it to be perfectly reasonable and constitutional. Yeah, in fact, he, he went out of his way a bit to express that view. Uh, so Clayman versus Obama is a challenge to the NSA's domestic bulk collection of call records, uh, something that came out. One of the revelations from uh, uh, Edward Snowden in 2013 uh, the uh, district court judge uh, had ruled that it likely violated the Fourth Amendment. Um, and on appeal, uh, 2015, uh, the uh, D.C. Circuit uh, denies a, a, a rehearing and uh, uh, Kavanaugh is on the, on the panel. The only opinion in the case is his concurrence to the denial of rehearing on Bank, which uh, where he uh, – he, he writes separately, uh, he's the only one who writes, uh, to assert his view that uh, the 
that the government's metadata collection program is entirely consistent with the Fourth Amendment. Uh, he says, first of all, that uh, the collection of the plaintiff's call records wasn't a search within the meaning of that amendment. He refers to the uh, uh, Smith versus Maryland case uh, about uh, pen registers uh, involving a single criminal suspect. And uh, Kavanaugh says that, and even if it was a search, uh, it was entirely reasonable because, quote, the government's program for bulk collection of telephony metadata serves a critically important special need preventing terrorist attacks on the United States, uh, which it uh, has never was was never shown to do, incidentally. Uh, now, this I mean, this this goes back to the question of controlling precedent. I mean, Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh's defenders might argue that Smith versus Maryland was the controlling precedent at this time. The uh, Carpenter case uh, at the Supreme Court in 2018 uh, hadn't been decided yet. That case uh, really cut the other way. Uh, it said that cell, cell site location uh, data is a, a, a Fourth Amendment search. And so so Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, uh, of course, wrote a, uh, a dissent in that uh, case, um, but it's a dissent arguing that uh, for, for much broader protection and rethinking of the, the Fourth Amendment's application to uh, uh, cell phone, uh, to, to the whole digital world, more or less. Um, it's pretty clear from the, the concurrence that he wrote in Clayman versus Obama, that uh, Kavanaugh doesn't share those concerns that Gorsuch expressed. Um, you've heard the uh, the phrase uh, the, the, on Twitter, uh, "but Gorsuch." You know, there's uh, the 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 idea that uh, well, whatever whatever else you you get get out of Trump, you you've got uh, you know a a qualified uh, and excellent Supreme Court justice in Neil Gorsuch. Uh, you've, uh, at least when it comes to Fourth Amendment and its application uh, in the 21st century, this the hashtag here might be for Kavanaugh might be not Gorsuch, and that it seems to me it ought to have some bearing on how excited libertarians should get about this particular nomination. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.